Hey there, Andy Jenkins back. I am actually, uh, you know, I'm going to pick up on the idea that I've talked about for the last two episodes. And that is this, that is that in order to really live a healthy spirituality, in order to walk this thing out well, you, you really have to get in touch, not, not just with your mind, not just the intellect to where you know and understand the truth and understand facts and uh, embrace God, connect with God in the intellectual world, but um, not also just the physical world, where we are now. I, I think that one's actually important and probably understated in Christianity. Often we, we kind of make, um, you can see this in all of the imagery and all the pictures that we paint. There's always this idea that Faith is something that's for the future, for a distant time and place. Not, not necessarily for now. It's about what happens when you die. Um, thankfully, that, that pendulum's kind of swinging back to where it's, it's becoming a both end. Like, yeah, faith is about what happens when you die. But it's also, you know, Jesus came now that we might have life and have it now more abundantly. So kind of hit the idea that Intellectually, your faith has to thrive, and physically, it thrives. Relationally, big thing, I mentioned last week that that's kind of the big thing that I'm working on right now, or or that's kind of the big, big word, that's the big idea, I think, for me for 2018 is just kind of the relational dynamic of our faith. And and you, you hit all these. Like it says in Luke 2.52 that Jesus grew in wisdom. So he, he grew knowing and applying more information uh, practically, grew in wisdom and in stature. He physically got bigger, stronger, developed. So he grew in wisdom, stature, and also in favor with God and man. He grew relationally, socially. And I've mentioned that there's this this other one that connects through all of these, and that is this idea of emotions, that a healthy spirituality, a healthy faith, a healthy whole, uh, W-H-O-L-E, whole you, whole me, is more and more I'm seeing this, is going to involve healthy emotions. That, That doesn't mean always happy. As I discussed maybe two episodes ago, you know, Isaiah 53, 3 says that Jesus was a man of sorrows. He was a man that was acquainted with grief. Um, sure, we, we read in the book of Luke that he was full of the joy of the Holy Spirit. Um, but we also see these tensions like um, it says in Hebrews that he endured the cross despising the shame. Like simultaneously, he endured the cross despising the shame. And the rest of the sentence is, for the joy that was set before him. Like these things, they, they both, like, like Ecclesiastes, there's a time to weep and a time for joy. There's a time for mourning, a time for dancing. It's it's all, and we have to own that all of the emotions, they're part of who we are, and you can't just turn uh, certain ones on and certain ones off. You, ha- you have to learn to navigate all of these and submit all of these to the Spirit and live all of these well, and live all these healthy. I um, I think I closed last episode with this idea that, you know, right thinking, that, that's been an area that maybe in Christianity or, you know, maybe the stripe just that I grew up in. I grew up in Baptist and I've got friends that grew up Presbyterian and, you know, kind of in that world, it, it does seem to be that we land on right thinking, information. Uh, we, we call it orthodoxy, right belief, orthodox beliefs. And I'm grateful for that. You know, it's 
Uh, truth is important. Words are important. How we define things and understand things is is important. You know, a, a lot of times if we don't have kind of a defining norm, everything just becomes like slinging jello against the wall. That's kind of one of the things that we're experiencing in culture right now is there's no absolute that we can just kind of look at and go, oh yeah, th- this is this is truth. This is this is it. Um, but 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 in addition to that, I I mentioned that there's also not just the importance of orthodoxy of thinking right, but maybe feeling right. Orthocardio might be the word, or, or orthocardia. I don't know how you would even term that. Maybe, maybe one of you will know. You can give me the right thought there. It, it's the idea that it's not just our mind that submits to the truth of, of God, the truth of the Creator, but 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 it's also it's the heart. Like we we navigate this, and we we navigate it the right way. We see that Jesus did it both ways. Like He did it when it was great, and when things were on, and where there's this happiness and there's this joy. He also He did it right when we, He's acquainted with grief. He did it right when Hebrews four fifteen talks about having high priest who's acquainted with every single temptation that we've been through. That there's not an emotion, there's not a situation, there's not some sort of pain that he's not been through and redeemed. Um, well, let me, let me maybe kind of not sure where we're going to go in this this talk, but 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 I knew that I want to push it a little farther. Like I want to keep developing that idea and maybe just kind of flesh it out. You know, the beauty of like talking on a podcast in long form is really, um, as I've mentioned before, when I talk, I, I get to kind of process this. It's, it's, it's one of those things where when you teach it, you're, you're processing out loud and you're hearing it and putting the ideas together. And uh, I so much appreciate the ability to do that. It, it helps me understand it. I, hopefully it helps you too. I'm so grateful that so many of you tune in and give me feedback and, and listen. And I love having the conversations. Like I, I bump into many of you at the advance events and at other places and uh, love getting your feedback and love being challenged back by you and seeing how maybe our ideas are, are shaping one another. Like Proverbs talks about the face of one man shapens forges the face of another one in the same way that iron sharpens iron. Um, let, let me let me land on this idea. Let me start here after uh, kind of all of that wind up. Here's here's the pitch after looks at my clock here. It's like after 7 minutes of wind up. Here comes here comes the idea. You can probably finish this verse. I know you can. Everybody can. God is fill in the blank. God is, it's from 1 John 4, 8. God is love. God is an emotion. God is a feeling. Now, I I know um, we look at all the biblical terms for love and there's words like there's loves like, like storge, romantic love. There's words in the New Testament. That's a New Testament word in the Greek language, like phileo, which is like brotherly, familial type. Um, I've got you type love. There's agape, love, unconditional, unconditional love. And, and we so often look at 
terms like that. We go, well, God's going to exclusively be agape. He's going to exclusively be the unconditional type of love. And, and we, we start kind of defining it like that. Like God is unconditional covenant. I've got you no matter what happens. I'm for you type of love. Here, here's the problem with that. I, I don't know that the only way that we can understand agape love is just by looking at agape love is is by saying, well, it's um, it's it's just covenant. It's just no matter what you do, I'm sticking with you. Like it's just stronger than contract, even like you, a contract. One person breaks their side of the contract, the other side, the other one's free to go. Um, it, it's agape love's not that. And, and by the word, the way the word used in that First John four eight, God is love. God is agape. God is unconditional connection. I don't. I don't think it's just. I don't think it's just that. Oh, I chose to love you, and I chose to be committed forever. Type. I. I, I think it's that, but I think it's more like I, I. I believe that there's got to be that there is this overwhelming. There's this overwhelming passion, to it. That's all wrapped in it. You know, like the scripture says, he who did not withhold a son, how will he not freely give you all things? I mean, you know, with not withholding his son, like literally putting Christ on the cross uh, to become sin for us, you know, that that's that's agape, but it's it's passion, it's intensity, it's emotion, it's feeling, it's it's if we're created in the image of God, like we have feeling, we have emotion because he has is. Emotion. All throughout the Bible, you see the idea that there there is this emotion in Jesus, and, and which, by the way, Jesus is the perfect image of God. Jesus shows us what the Father is like. You know, he, he told his disciples in the upper room in John fourteen. He said, "I and the Father are one. You've seen me. You've seen the Father." You know, he came to show us a perfect representation. That's what Hebrews one says. He is the perfect representation of the unseen God. Colossians 1 says that. He's the image of the invisible God. When we see Jesus, we see what God is like. And when we see Jesus, we see emotion. So we know that God is loaded, full of emotion. Uh, we, we see things like uh, in Mark chapter 3, verse 5, um, Jesus is distressed is the word that's used with the Pharisees. He's healing people on the Sabbath, and the Pharisees are angry, and he's distressed because they are keeping people back from the wholeness that their Heavenly Father wants them to have. They are keeping people bound from something that he is coming to remedy. Uh, this is not an isolated case. We see like in Mark chapter 6, Mark chapter 6, verse 34, um, Jesus is there. This is the story of the feeding of the 5,000. And uh, it says that the people were there. They had listened to Jesus. They had continued with him all day, all night. And the scripture says that he was moved with compassion. Like, And it's, and it's not just this, oh, I had a sentimental thing feeling uh, like that which would be enough like that would be uh, an actual emotion right but but the idea is more like the idea it is like this deep in the gut type of feeling where it's just 
you've seen this where it's just this, the word used there in the Greek language is, is just this intense, overwhelming, like just in the gut type of move. It was rich. It was full. And, and it was it, it was a feeling. It was a feeling that he had. Um, Luke 10, 21, I've referenced this one a couple times now over the last couple episodes. Like It says that he was full of joy through the Holy Spirit. So we see um, that he has distress. We, we see that he has compassion. We see that he has joy. We also see, like as he's facing the cross, when he's praying in the Garden of Gethsemane, that he's overwhelmingly sorrowful and troubled in, in Matthew 26. Um, Peter even reminds us now, like when, when Jesus ascended to the right hand of the Father, you know, people thought he'll return quickly because in Acts 1, you know, he said he's going to return. And then the angel said, hey, he's going to return in the same way that he just left. And so people started thinking, well, why, why is he not returning yet? Like we, they thought he was going to come back. They thought he was going to come back like right then in their generation, you know, and, and it's still for them, it, for, for us, it's been 2000 years since then, but, but for them, it had been 20, 30 years and people were starting to die. And that was really creating this, it's creating this crisis of faith for them. And Peter said, that and get this, it says, the Lord's not slack concerning his promise. This is in Second Peter 3 9. He's not slack concerning his promise to return, but he's lingering, he's waiting because he's patient, not wanting anyone to suffer, but for all people to come to the knowledge, the experience of the truth. It, we, we read that he's patient. I, I was reading a book. Called Rain by a guy. I'm, I'm probably going to mispronounce this. Leaf Hetland and uh, from the Atlanta area, and he's a traveling evangelist. And he 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 says this. He, he says in his book called Rain. He says I just quoting him. He says I, I often ask God to share his emotions with me. Now think about that. Not not just his truth, but his feeling. Like what's going on in the heart of God? Because again, God is love. God is a, an emotion. I often ask him to share his emotions with me because I know that he is an emotional God full of compassion, full of joy, and full of many other feelings. Full of, full of feeling. Uh, I was reading the fruit of the Spirit. It's in Galatians 5. I'm going to read it, and maybe that's going to take this idea a little bit farther. Galatians 5, I'm just kind of flipping to find it here. Um... Here, here we go. Now, now notice this. For the fruit, Galatians 5.22, the fruit of the Spirit. Now pay attention to this. This is interesting. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. The, the fruit of the Spirit is uh, love, is an emotion, joy. It's an emotion, peace. It's this emotion, this feeling, patience. It's this posture of carrying yourself, driven by an emotion, kindness. Um, it's, it's a presentation of emotion, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. These are all emotional type of things. Here's, here's what's interesting is Paul's kind of contrasting the, now get this, the fruit of the Spirit. It's, it, fruit is something that automatically manifests when the root system is right in a tree. It's fruit just spontaneously comes. Like you don't create these things. You don't create 
fruit. Fruit comes as a result of the seed that was planted in the ground, cultivated, nourished. It spontaneously overflows. And it's contrasting the fruit of the Spirit. It's something God does in us through His nature, which He imparts to us because we're created in His image. And these are all emotions that come through as the fruit. Why? Because He is, among other things, emotion. He contrasts this, Paul does, with the works, deeds of the flesh. Now, works is something you do. It's something that you create, something that you manufacture. Now listen, the deeds of the flesh. I'm in verse 19. The deeds of the flesh, the works of the flesh are, are clear. Sexual immorality, impurity, indecency, idolatry, witchcraft, hostility, seems like an emotion, strive, striving, jealousy, rage, ambition, dissension, factions, envy, drunkenness, carousing, and things like these. Like Paul lands on and contrasts that there's this fruit that just happens, that's emotion, that's healthy, that's whole. whole. And I hope you've seen the tension that Jesus was acquainted with grief. Jesus despised the shame of the cross and endured that shame heart emotion, for the joy set before him. So the emotion goes all over the map. Jesus feels distress. Jesus feels compassion. Jesus feels anger. We, we see that when he overturns the tables of the money changers in John chapter 2. Like there's this, there's this anger. We, we, we read when the disciples were running off the children in Mark chapter 9 that Jesus became, going to get this word, indignant. And yet he managed these all, all in a righteous way. Yet, yet we're afraid of we're afraid of the feeling. We're afraid of the emotion. We're, we're afraid of going into these places. It it makes you kind of wonder, doesn't it? I think that when we get honest with it, when we get honest about what we're feeling, and when we, now not not offload that on social media. Like I, I think that in our culture, like we've got this epidemic of oversharing where people, goodness, like they'll get on social media and they'll share everything and anything that's happened or somebody, you know, uh, says a cross word about them. Then all of a sudden we've escalated an argument on Facebook or somebody you know, they, they break up and then they start just debating on Facebook. And so I'm not talking about sharing it in that way, but I'm talking about when there's some deep relationships where the relationship has the capacity to carry the disclosure of the emotion in a healthy way. Um, and I would probably define that um, healthy way by there's the ability for them to ask you tough questions. There's the ability for them to help you filter that and funnel that emotion. I've, I've seen it happen good ways and bad ways lately. I, I've, lately. I, I've seen it where there are people who um, just blanket, take everything that's said and just trust it. Like, oh, uh, yeah, okay. And, and don't dig and don't ask the tough questions and don't help free you of hurtful emotions. I, I've seen it the healthy way too where, where people do. I'm talking about offloading in places 
where people do help you navigate, work through, talk through, get the Holy Spirit's wisdom and get the feeling of God on it. Get not not just the not just the raw information, but get the orthocardio, the right feeling. There's this great verse in First John. I've, I've referenced it here before. I've referenced it's on this podcast before where John, John says this in First John 1, 7. He says, if we walk in the light as he is in the light, as Jesus is in the light, then we have fellowship with one another. And then the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we walk in the light, notice this, two, two things that are going to happen. One, we have fellowship with one another. Let, let me talk about that a moment. I look back over history that I have where there are people that I've known for years and I really look back at it now and think, man, I, I missed the beauty of the depth of the relationship that was there because I didn't really have fellowship because I didn't really walk in the light. There are emotions that I withheld. There are things where it's not transparent. There, there is a, there's a degree of rawness and authenticity um, required in order to have true fellowship because if you don't walk in the light with those people, and this is why you can't do this on social media, um, because it's not a two-way thing. It's a one-way offload. If, if you don't really walk out into the light with these people, you don't really have fellowship because then you don't really know if you're fully accepted. You might feel accepted when you share partial information, but you don't know for sure. Um, lately, I've done a lot of soul searching, a lot of um, inner dealing, a lot of wrestling with tough issues from the past. And there are some guys that I have, um, goodness, for the first time probably ever, I've disclosed everything to. And it's simultaneously nervous at first, but then it becomes this beautiful moment where sometimes you... You laugh together. Sometimes you cry together. Sometimes you, you, <laughs> you, you correct together. Sometimes they remind you that you're better than what's happened and that you're called to something more magnificent and that the old self is not the true self. The old self is something to be beautifully left, left behind, something to walk forward from. And it's in that intimacy that I've experienced the full acceptance. It's almost like, yeah, I made this graphic. I may, I may even kind of attach it in the show notes if I can find it. I made this graphic the other day. I was working through some of the advanced material. We're, we're kind of changing that from a workbook. We're going to keep the workbook for the events, but we're also making it a book book to where people can have it and they can wrestle with it and they can learn the material and kind of keep reading and digging. And, you know, we've been refining that material for a while. And so I made this graphic for the part where we talk about relationships. And I said, in any relationship, you can choose intimacy or you can choose control. 
you can choose to be intimate and fully disclose and walk into the light, or you can control the outcome. You can control that, hey, they'll they'll accept you, and I use that in like kind of air quotes because they're accepting a false version that you've presented, like you've controlled whether they accept you or not because you've presented what you wanted to present. You can have intimacy or control. Or maybe to say it another way, I made another graphic for this too. It's like just the same graphic. It was just kind of they fit together is you can have transparency and vulnerability or you can hide. But you can't you can't do both. You you can't you you can't do both transparency and hiding. You can't do b- both vulnerability and hiding. You can't do both intimacy and control. You, you have to choose. And so John is saying, like, hey, man, sometimes like there's feelings that we have that are that are all this kind of tangled mess, and we can get to where we can untangle them with people that are created in God's image that can help us to sort through the mess. It's it's at that point that we have this true fellowship because true fellowship, true oneness, is based on us really knowing the good and the bad, the grit, and being able to experience and dispense grace. Here's the other thing that John says in that passage. He says, if we walk in the light as he is in the light, because Jesus was in the light, like, right? He didn't hide all these emotions. He didn't hide all this stuff. Like, he was truly out there. He, you know, he told his disciples he was sorrowful and distressed. The disciples who were writing his story could tell he was indignant. They could tell that he was agonized. They could tell that it was shame, but for the joy set before him. Like, they're not just making this up. Like, they knew him intimately. He did not withhold himself. Uh, so the other side of this is John says, if we walk in the light, then we have fellowship and the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from sin. I, I see that this cleansing happens. I mean, forgiveness, forgiveness, you know, automatic. Jesus said on the cross, Father, forgive them 2,000 years ago. You were forgiven. I was forgiven. But, but, but the grace that we experience of cleansing Sometimes that only happens when we offload stuff to people who can carry it. And when they become the voice of God to us, expressing the sorrow, expressing, I'm sorry that happened, expressing that you're forgiven, expressing maybe you don't even need to be forgiven. Maybe it was something that was done to you, not something you did, something where you don't bear guilt, but you bear hurt. And wounds where they just wrap their arms around you and the cleansing comes as they express what Jesus would express himself if he was physically here. Can Jesus reveal stuff to you? Yeah, he absolutely does reveal stuff to you. Can the Holy Spirit communicate to you? Yes, he resonates with deep truths in our heart. So, sometimes though it takes the expression of a, of a person. At at the men's advance, um, the last two ones, my dad has been able to come. He retired from being a pastor a couple years ago, and then he's had, he's just had, you know, really kind of church gig after church gig after church gig. He's been a missions consultant and a interim pastor, and um, the missions consultant thing, they kind of, I kind of call that the director of missions in these Baptist associations. And he's never been able to come to these advances, uh, these men's weekend workshops that we do until 
he came to Nashville like this last fall. It was just an incredible moment. He was there and he just kind of spent time with with me. We had dinner together. We went to see a couple ball games. You know, we rode together. It was this, just this great time of just kind of hanging out. You know, there with him, one on one a lot. You know, and of course, you know, two hundred other guys for some of the time. And he just sat on the front row every session and just kind of cheered. You know, and um, saw these things that we had created and was honored to have him there. This last, this last event, um, I actually had him speak during one of the sessions and share, you know, with all these men, you know, my, my dad's 69 years old. What, what, what would you change if you could go back um, and repeat? You know, you're, if you were our age, what would you, what would you do? What would you say to a self that's our age being where you are, or what's the stuff that you got right? Like, what would you lean into? Like, just kind of take that and share with us what you would. And he did an amazing job, an incredible job. Got got a you know standing ovation there. Was well merited, you know, and extremely well received by all the men. Um, was proud of my father and proud to see, you know, what he delivered to these guys. Um, what he shared with me. My favorite part, though, of the whole event was, you know, I, I had some stuff that I, I honestly had been carrying 19, 20 years and stuff I'd never told him. And it was things that I felt like I needed to. And so we just sat in my room one day. Uh, we, we shared, you know, he, I, I get a room because I'm leading at the event. And so I have my room there. And so he's he's been able to go to these events. It's great because I, I can get him in free and, you know, I can give him the free room. And um, so that's been, it's, it's it kind of sounds odd, but it's been great to just be able to gift that, you know, to him. And so we're there in the room and... Uh, the more sharing and I, I just talked to him for a couple hours two different occasions and just kind of shared a lot of my story some of it that I've been afraid to share some of it that at some point I'll I'll share at the men's event some that I'll share in other venues or teaching about healing and teaching about emotional health and other maybe teach it here on the podcast sometime and and at some point like we we got in this topic of confession after I'd shared everything, and, and the stuff I shared, you know, some of it was some pretty big mistakes. And I came to sense and tell him, like, I've, I've taught on the podcast before, and I've, I'm sensing that confession is not just for us to clear the air with God. Like, he's already said, I forgive you. He, he's already said Romans 4, 7, and 8. Like, I'm, I'm not even holding future sins against you. He said in Hebrews 10, your sins, and, and in Jeremiah 31, like your sins and lawless deeds, I, I won't remember anymore. There, but confession becomes for us to, to voice it and voice that it's done and to confess it to each other, particularly when we've hurt someone else, to own it. And hear the grace of them saying, I forgive you. And then we move forward. And then my dad said this other thing. He added something to it. And he, and he said this. He said, because he's, he's carrying 69 years of wisdom. You know, a chunk of that, studying the Bible, 
uh, and he's an incredible teacher, a, a, a chunk of that, uh, not just studying the Bible, but a chunk of that, the majority of that, walking with God intimately, he says confession means to declare and to say the same thing about sin that God says. And, and as we dialogued about it, like it wasn't just negative. Like confession means, like in Romans 10 says, if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, you'll be saved. There, there's nothing negative with the connotation of that confession. It, it has this feeling, back to go to, kind of because I started this whole talk with this emotion thing, right? It has this feeling of freedom. Like you confess, oh, Jesus has achieved this for me. It's this release. Confession is this declaration. Like we even call them confessions of faith. This is what I declare. This is what I believe. Confess. If you go to a Presbyterian church or a Lutheran church or, I don't know if Catholic people have it, but Episcopalian, they have these things called Presbyterians called confessions. It's the truths they declare where they are saying, we stand on these things because this is what God says, right? And now we may disagree on whether those confessions, those declarations are really what God says, but the biblical word confession, it means to declare and agree that this is what God says. And then my dad was saying, confession is to say the same thing that God says about sin. And then my dad said this, here's what God says about it, that it's finished, it's done, that it's messy, it's horrible, it causes pain, it causes hurt, but it's forgiven because, and this will pull it back full circle, because on the cross, God reconciled all things to himself. The sin is done. That's Colossians 1.20, by the way. And it's done because back full circle, God is love. God is, 1 John 4, 8, this emotion. God is love. So good. So deep. So rich. And it's this invitation not not to leave the world of the mind, not to check out and say, hey, information is not important. Data doesn't matter. Not to say that theology is gone. Like, I mean, for goodness sake, like I... I love it. And it's through it's through like the theological training that I'm even able to put together some of these concepts. But but it's to go farther and deeper and go, hey, these aren't just thoughts to think they're feelings to tap into in a healthy way. So as as I sign off, and maybe you can hear my train in the background there. As I sign off, may the Lord bless you. May the Lord keep you. May the Lord be gracious to you and shine His face of favor upon you. May you stop striving, stop working. May you remember, as we've talked about over and over and over, that forgiveness is achieved, done already by Jesus on the cross, that your sin is atoned for, that it's complete, it's finished, it's ended, and it's done because God is He's a healthy, whole, emotive, emotional God that invites you not just believe, 
but to feel. Grace, peace, and until next time, shalom.